We're talking about a man named Elijah. A man named Elijah. The uh, two Sunday school lessons on Elijah. And today is the first lesson on Elijah. The Bible has a lot to say about this fellow. And um, seems like God is pretty proud of him. Put him in there quite a few times. And going to bring him back. So I want you to take your Bible and turn to the book of Malachi. You ever heard of the book of Malachi? The book of Malachi? The last book in the Old Testament. Now in your notes, Elijah means, uh, my God is Yahweh. That's who my God is. And he was a prophet and a worker of seven miracles in the northern kingdom of Israel. During the reign of Ahab, you've heard of Ahab, the Arab, the sheik of the burning sand? Well, that's not him. This is Ahab, and he was king of Israel. You remember Solomon, he was, uh, well, he kind of messed up toward the end of his life, and God says he's going to split the division of the kingdom afterwards, and so he did. So Israel is those northern ten tribes, and Judah is the southern two tribes. And Samaria is the capital of the northern ten tribes. And so they had their own king, and the others had their own king. Well, during this time, Omri was the, the king of Israel, and he was a bad man, a bad king. And so um, there's some things that you'll look at in just a moment here. But Elijah defended the worship of Yahweh, which is the Lord, over that of the Canaanite idol Baal. He also had God perform miracles for him, which including raising the dead, bringing fire down from heaven, and having himself taken up by a whirlwind. Now, he's not the author of those miracles, but uh, God did use them to do some wonderful things. You know, it must have been something to know that you had the power of God on your life like that. Knowing that you're not just a normal individual, but me, he's just a man, the Bible says, of like passion like we are. But to know that you're being used by God. You know, that's one of the greatest things that you can know is that God is using you. And one of the worst things in the world is thinking God's not using me. I've never been so disappointed and discouraged and in despair as when I would think there's times in my life when God wasn't using me. It's like I was set aside. And man, that just, that's just the most terrible feeling in the world. And it doesn't matter what you do, it seems like nothing works. And nothing's been done. You ever been in that state of lull where nothing's exciting, nothing's going on, it just seems like it's dead. You know the Lord, you love the Lord, but there's times when it seems like nothing is happening. Now, I know you've never felt like that, but I have. And so, um, Lord lets us go through that. Now, you'll notice the uh, next statement there. In the book of Malachi, Elijah's return is prophesied. So, you're looking there in Malachi in chapter 3, and he says, I'm going to send my messenger. Look in verse 1. Behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom ye seek shall suddenly come to his temple. Now, this is the last book in the Old Testament before Christ comes. And the Bible tells us he's going to send John the Baptist. Oh, this is John the Baptist. Comes right before the, the Lord. If they had accepted Jesus, then John the Baptist, who came in the spirit of Elijah, would have been the fulfillment of that scripture. But they didn't. They crucified. John lost his head, and Jesus was crucified. And so the Bible says this. Look in chapter 4. In chapter 4, in verse 2, 
And unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with a healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. There's something that's going to happen. And look in verse 5. Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. Now, this verse 5 is not when he came the first time. This is when he came second time. First time he came suddenly to his temple. Here he's talking about coming back. And Elijah is going to be here. And so Elijah is going to come back. Now, since we're real close right here, look there in Matthew in chapter 17. Matthew chapter 17. And Jesus is speaking and he told his disciples, he says, Some of you that are standing here are going to see me in the kingdom. Before you taste of death, you're going to see something. But man, that would be wonderful. God gets them and says, I'm going to show you something. Man, knock their socks off. So he says here in Matthew chapter 16, let's look at that first of all, in verse 28, where he makes the promise to them. In verse 28, Verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death. That's a promise. You're not going to die. Till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Six days later, he shows them. Now, six days, that could be 6,000 years. You know, from Adam and Eve to the flood, 2,000. From the flood to the cross, 2,000. From the cross until now, 2,000. And we got a 1,000-year reign. So 6,000 years, and the seventh day he rests, and that's the kingdom upon the earth. Just a possibility. You know, I just love stuff like that. But then he says here in verse 1, chapter 17, After six days, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto him, to them, Moses and Elijah talking with him. So Moses and Elijah are really not dead, are they? They're still alive. And this is a couple thousand years later, they're still alive. I mean, Moses has been dead for a long time. Elijah, not as long. But they're still alive. And uh, they're not just somebody else. They have to be the same people or it's no value. You're going to be who you are when you get to heaven. You are you and I am me. And uh, we don't know what we're going to look like when we get there, but we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. And he says there'll be no male and female. There won't be no marriage in heaven, so we don't have to worry about that. I don't know what the gays are going to do then. <laughs> That's not a subject. But now notice, he says, these two guys are going to show up, Moses and Elijah. And they showed up. So they're not dead. And um, just while we're right here, before we get to the Old Testament, look there in the book of James. The book of James, chapter 5. James chapter 5. And you'll notice that the Bible talks about somebody who was a mighty man of prayer. Look in verse 17. And Elias, which is also in your notes there, means my God is Yah, Yah, or Yahshua. But he says here in verse uh, 17, Elijah, or Elias, was a man subject to like passions as we are. In other words, that means that he had desires just like we do. And uh, he hurts and gets lonely and got despaired and discouraged and just like us. And his biggest Discouragement seemed to have come right after a great victory. 
he had just faced down old, you know, Ahab and the 450 prophets of Baal had a great victory, and, and then he went into a pity party. Just pity, pity, pity himself. He said, oh, I just need to die. Lord, I'm the only one left. You ever felt like, I'm the only one that loves you, Lord? I'm the only one. God said, I got 7,000 that haven't bowed the knee to Baal. And here's Elijah thinking, I'm the only one. You ever think, well, I'm the only one that going through what I'm going through. Nobody else has to suffer like I do. Nobody faces the problems like, and then you just pity, pity, pity. You know why I stopped having pity parties? Nobody would come. <laughs> and you'll find out somebody else has probably got some problems greater than yours. But he says here in verse 17, And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. He prayed again, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth brought forth her rain. So there's a word of encouragement there about the effectual prayer of a righteous man. So God was actually saying he was a righteous man. Not that he did everything right. He's a righteous man because he'd been made righteous. You see, it's hard for some people to understand that that if you think you have to live so perfectly in order to be used by God, well, then you can never be used. There's nobody like that. We're all serving God with the soul sinful nature that we got, and we are up and then we're down. We're in and out. We're obedient, disobedient, trusting the Lord and smiling all the way. And the next moment, we can be down in the pits, just like that. But not y'all. I mean, not y'all, because y'all are so far above all those things. So, look back there at your, your notes, and go to 1 Kings chapter 16. 1 Kings chapter 16. And then look there at your notes here. By the 9th century B.C., the kingdom of Israel, once united under King Solomon, was divided into the northern kingdom of Israel and southern kingdom of Judah which retained the historic seat of government and focus of the Israelite religion at the temple in Jerusalem. And Omri, king of Israel, continued policies dating from the reign of Jeroboam, contrary to the laws of Moses, that were intended to reorient a religious focus away from Jerusalem. It's kind of like having people in America that's trying to get people away from the foundation of our country and away from the biblical principles of our country bringing in all this kind of wicked stuff. Well, this is what Israel was doing. And Judah hadn't gotten quite as bad. But Israel had really got bad. And so um, they did some things they shouldn't have done. And you'll notice the next statement, Omri, king of Israel, continued policies dating from the reign of Jeroboam. Now, there's some things that he did that were not right. But now, look there in the first Kings in chapter 16. And look in verse 25. I would have... Maybe write this verse down here in your notes. But it says in verse 25, But Omri wrought evil in the eyes of the Lord, and did worse than all that were before him. And he was a wicked man. So he was a wicked man. He did wrong things. Now, look what he did. And these are the little bullet points that I got there. Encouraging the building of local temple altars for sacrifices. Bad move. Appointing priests from outside the family of the Levites. Bad move. Allowing or encouraging temple dedicated to the Canaanite god Baal. Bad move. 
Omri achieved Damascus security with a marriage alliance between his son Ahab. You ever heard of Ahab? And Princess Jezebel. You ever heard of Jezebel? You know, very few women today or families ever named their little girls Jezebel. Or do you know of anybody named Jezebel, girls today? You do? No. Nope. 20 years old, what she has to live with for the rest of her life. Somebody just calling her Jezebel. But anyway, Omri did this, but there was this marriage, and she was uh, of the priestess of Baal. So you know that now he's got to satisfy his wife. And this is what God warned about. When you marry outside, and they have false religions, wrong beliefs, it's going to affect you. And so now he's got to humor his wife, and she is a priestess of worship of the god Baal, which is everything that's wicked. Everything God told them not to do, they're moving in that direction. You would think people would learn by now, why are we moving in the direction that other nations have gone, only to be destroyed, and here's America following suit, doing exactly the same thing. A lot of bad decisions were done this week. But look at the next statement. Under Ahab's kingship, these tensions were exacerbated. Ahab built a temple for Baal, and his wife Jezebel brought a large entourage of priests and prophets of Baal. And that's why you have Elijah now going to stand up to those 450 prophets. So did she bring anybody in? 450 of them into the nation of Israel. Now the Phoenicia place was a little bit north of Israel. And here's all these people coming down, and they're, well, they begin to teach. And they teach the people. And see, this is what the false gods have done here in America. They have taken over our schools, got into our schools, get into the colleges and universities, and look what we're producing. Look at all the people that accept all this other stuff we know is wrong. But they accept it, and it's like there's no conscience whatsoever. They believe it's right. It's okay. But if you know the book, you know it's not right. But yet we're doing exactly the same thing. You know why history repeats itself? Because people don't learn from history. This is why they don't want to teach history, correct it. They want to change history. They're going all the way back to the founding of this country. And you watch, there's going to be a lot of decisions made to reshape America. You watch, they might even want to take and change the American flag. Change a lot of stuff. Why? Because it's just, it's their religion. It's where they're going. So it's going to be a dark day. But anyway, look at the next statement here. In uh, the little bullet point, it is in this context that Elijah is introduced in 1 Kings 17.1. Elijah the Tishbite. He warns Ahab that there will be years of catastrophe, drought, so severe that not even dew will fall, because Ahab and his queen stand at the end of a line of kings of Israel who are said to have done evil in the sight of the Lord. Have you ever heard people say, well, as long as it doesn't bother me? I don't care what they do, as long as it doesn't bother me. Do you think these decisions they made are going to bother us? Yes, it will. They can't make the wrong decisions and it have no effect upon people. So there's going to be some consequences coming down the road. Anyway, look at the next statement. Elijah's challenge is bold, it's direct, 
Baal was the Canaanite God responsible for rain, thunder, lightning, and dew. And God says it's not going to rain. <laughs> uh, looks like the true and living God wants to, hey, let, let's have a showdown. Oh, that showdown did come. But God didn't let it rain for three and a half years. No rain, no dew. And their God is, you know, the God of thunder and lightning and rain, dew. Well, their prophets could not produce what they needed. And anyway, he was challenging Baal on behalf of God. So he challenged Jezebel and the priests and Ahab and the people of Israel. You know, he made the statement to them, he says, when he had this great confrontation with them on Mount Carmel, he made the statement, he says, multitudes. He says, why do you halt between two opinions? There's God, there's Baal. If God is God, then serve him. If Baal is God, serve Baal. Make up your mind. And he puts it to him pretty strong. So here in the book of 1 Kings chapter 17, look what he says in verse 8. Before they get there, the drought is going on, and things are going pretty bad. And so the Lord had told him what to do and how that God had miraculously provided for him. You see that in verse 3? Get thee hence, and turn thee eastward, and hide thyself by the brook Cherith, uh, that is beyond Jordan. And it shall be that thou shalt drink of the brook, and I have commanded the ravens to feed thee there. God told the birds <laughs> to feed the man. So, I mean, how much better can you get? Miraculous. I mean, God can take care of somebody even when it seems like everything else is falling apart. You don't know what God is going to do. But God, it seems like God always has a plan and he's working out something. But he doesn't always tell us, but you've got to just take it as it goes. And so he was to stay there. And then when the, the brook dried up, ah, I guess it's time to leave. And so then he goes and God tells him where else to go. So now he's, he's not in Israel. He, he was on the other side of the, the Jordan. And now he's going up a little bit north of Israel into uh, the Phoenician country. And so now he's talking to a woman that's probably not a Jew, not of Israel. But it says there in verse 8, And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon. And dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. Now he said, I commanded this woman to sustain. But the woman doesn't know anything about it. God never told her. As I told this woman to sustain you. <laughs> when he goes there, she says, what? You know, give me something to eat. She says, all I got is enough for me and my son. Then we're going to die. So why should I give it to you? He says, you give it to me. And below and behold. Now, God commanded her? Well, only through Elijah, because she didn't know anything about this up front. So anyway, it does get interesting. So in verse 13, Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. Feed me first. Now there's a principle here, but we won't get into that right now. But the main point is, Always do what God says do, and then he'll take care of the rest. Sometimes we try to figure out how God's going to do it. Now, if I can't see how he's going to do it, then he can't do it. And he's not going to do it. So I've got to intervene and do it my way. And God says, no, 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 you're, uh, you're out of line. 
So he makes this statement, he says, in verse 14, For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail, until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. Now that's a pretty good guarantee. How'd you like to have a good health insurance policy like that? I mean, she's, he's, he's telling everything. And God's going to supply, and this is gonna, this not going to run out. So she pours some oil, and she needs some more, she needs some more, and it never runs out. Would it be interesting? Buy some food, put it in the refrigerator, you can eat all day long, all week long, all month long, all year long, and it's still there. Now that would take a miracle, wouldn't it? I'd just like to put $100 in the bank and keep drawing on it, but it never goes down, and it just always stays at $100. I don't care how much you draw, it's still so the same. You liked that part, didn't you? I figured you liked that. So in verse 16, and the barrel of meal wasted not, that's the flour. Neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. So the Lord told her what to do, but through Elijah. And so, see, Elijah is not told everything in advance of what he's going to do. It's God leads. Then when that happens, then you do this. Well, okay, now you did that. No, 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 I want you to do this. But sometimes we want God's will be so laid out for us so that I can pick and choose. You know what part I'm going to obey and what part I'm not going to obey. What I like and don't like. God says, this is my will for you. No, wait, 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 wait. I, I can test. I, I think we ought to change this and this, and this is way too strong right here. We need to lighten this up a little bit. Uh, you're just requiring way too much. Or do you think God just says, look, you just ask for the strength and the grace to do what I want you to do. And you just leave it to me, and I'll take you step by step. But that's the way the Lord does. We want him to, to reveal everything up front so I can see it all and Really, no. And God says, no, not going to work that way. In other words, the next thing that happens, well, boy gets sick. He dies. And so then the woman, she falls apart. I mean, really falls apart. So look what he says here. And uh, in verse 20, she was praising the man of God. She was just, oh, praising the man of God. Because, hey, I didn't run out of flour and I didn't run out of oil. Praise the man of God. Well, now her son dies. In verse 20, And he cried unto the Lord and says, O Lord my God, hast thou also brought evil upon the widow with whom I sojourned by slaying her son? Because now, what did you do to me? You came into my house, and you ate my food, and you did all of this? And now, I look at all the things that's going on. See there, verse 18, just to back up just a tad. And she said unto Elijah, What have I to do with thee? O thou man of God, art thou come unto me to call my sin to remembrance and to slay my son? Everything was wonderful, and all of a sudden everything goes bad. How fast can excitement go to total discouragement? Don't take long, does it? Well, anyway, the child lived. And look what she said in verse 24. And the woman said to Elijah, now by this I know that thou art a man of God, and that the word of the Lord in thy mouth is true. Now Israel didn't believe that. But here's somebody else that heard the word of God, and she can believe it. She saw God do something, but hadn't Israel seen what God has done? Don't they remember all the times when God has opened up the doors and blessed them and defended them? Even the miracle of them as a nation to exist 
coming out of Egypt and across the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years, how God miraculous, and then they forget all of those things. Well, chapter 18, Elijah goes to meet Ahab. And um, go back towards your notes. And you'll notice that um, in the middle of the page, a little paragraph, after more than three years of drought and famine, God tells Elijah to return to Ahab and announce the end of the drought, nor occasioned by repentance in Israel, but by the command of the Lord, who hath determined to reveal himself again to his people. While on his way, Elijah meets Obadiah. Now, there's a little book called Obadiah. But the head of Ahab's household, who had hidden a hundred prophets of the God of Israel, when Ahab and Jezebel had been killing them. So this man was a good man. Obadiah was a godly man. And so when Ahab was going to kill the prophets of God, remember they put in 450 of the evil ones and got rid of all the good ones. You know, it's kind of like somebody getting in political office and getting rid of all the good ones and putting in all the bad ones. Ain't it amazing how you can always see things? Nothing's new. When you've got the Bible and you read these stories, it tells you how it's going to work. But does that mean that God is through just because somebody did something wrong? And it's all over. Well, look back here. Elijah on his way, he meets Obadiah. And Obadiah, well, he had just been with Ahab. And so Ahab says, um, we've got to find some water. Because we're going to lose all of our mules, we're going to lose all of our cattle, we're going to lose all of our horses, we're going to lose our beast. So we've got to start searching out and find water somewhere. And so Ahab says, I'll, I'll go this way, and Obadiah, you go this way. And so they split up to try to find some water. And on their way, now Ahab, he don't like Elijah, because Elijah always prophesied against him. Well... He was wrong. But um, Obadiah had hidden a hundred of the prophets in two different caves with about 50 men in each one. And he was providing them with food and water. But he went one way, and when he did, here comes Elijah. Elijah, hey, Obadiah. And Obadiah says, oh, no. He says, I want you to go tell Ahab I'm coming to see him. He says, wait a minute. If I go tell him uh, that you're going to come and see him, he's going to kill me because you won't show up. They've looked for you and they can't find you. He says, you just go tell them. But anyway, it does get exciting. So you look there in chapter 18. Look in verse 3. In verse 3, and Ahab called Obadiah which was the governor of his house. Now Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. For it was so when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. And Ahab said unto Obadiah, Go into the land and unto all fountains of water and unto all brooks, uh, peradventure we may find grass to save the horses and the mules alive and we lose not all the beasts. So they divided the land between them to pass through it and so forth. And so this is what they did. Verse 7, And Obadiah was in the way, and behold, Elijah met him. And he knew him, and fell on his face, and said, Art thou 
that my Lord Elijah? He answered him, I am. Go tell thy Lord, behold, Elijah is here. And he says, What have I sinned, that thou would have delivered thy servant into the hand of Ahab to slay me? As the Lord thy God liveth, there is no nation or kingdom, whether my Lord hath not sent to seek thee. And when they said, He is not there, he took an oath of the kingdom and nation, that they found thee not. Now thou sayest, Go, and tell thy Lord, Behold, Elijah is here. And it shall come to pass, as soon as I am gone from thee, that the Spirit of the Lord shall carry thee, whether I know not. And so when I come and tell Ahab, and he cannot find thee, he shall slay me. But I thy servant fear the Lord from my youth. Was it not told, my Lord, what I did when Jezebel slew the prophets of the Lord? How I hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets and fed them with bread and water? Now thou sayest, Go tell the Lord, Behold, Elijah is here, and he shall slay me. Elijah said, As the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand, I will surely show myself unto him today. And Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. On these wonderful stories in the Old Testament, start reading them and trying to understand and picture it, you know. I'd love to have a VCR and be able to play, record all of these things that happen. And uh, maybe we get to heaven, you know, we'll have a thousand years sit around and maybe you can, uh, you know, play these things back for us of how it really was. I'd love, love to see that. But anyway, the story is moving on. Showdown is coming. In verse 17, and it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? Now stop and think. Is he really the one that's troubling Israel? Is it Elijah that's the problem because he tells the truth? Or because Ahab is doing wrong? His decisions are wrong. He married the wrong woman. Got rid of God's prophets. Put in 450 false prophets. Of the God of Baal. And things were not going very well. Now they've had three and a half years of drought. And he says, it's all your fault. In verse 18, the man of God. And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house. Now it's evidently he had not read that book on how to win friends and influence people by Dale Carnegie. He stands up to the king and... Tells him point blank, it's what you're doing. You're the reason. And he doesn't back down. Don't you like that in a guy? He wasn't just pushed around, hey, hey, that's the king. You can't do that. We have people today say, well, you know, you always have to obey government. I mean, whatever laws they pass, that's the law. Yeah, but if it ain't right, Christians are supposed to do right. What if they tell you to do something that you're not supposed to do? And there's that possibility somebody's going to come in here and they want me to marry them. Two men or two women, and they want to get married. I thought about, maybe I will. And as they stand there, I says, Will you, you wicked, ungodly <laughs> sodomite, take this other abomination and just go through the whole thing and just teach the whole Bible, <laughs> go through every scripture? And now I pronounce on you the curse of God. You know, that might go over pretty good, huh? Maybe they've changed their mind. Yeah. 
But I'm glad that I don't just marry somebody who comes in. I talk to them for three, six months. And then after I do that, I'm, I still may not do it. So I don't just marry people just because they want to get married. But I do believe that there's, there's a showdown coming. There's confrontation coming. But anyway, it's nothing new. These men had to face those things themselves. So he says down here in verse 19, Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel and the prophets of Baal, 450 for the prophets of the groves, 400 which eat at Jezebel's table. She must have had a big table. And anyway, he says in verse 21, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord, L-O-R-D, Jehovah, Yahweh, if he is God, then follow him. If Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him, not a word. Uh, we're we're going to hold our comment for the moment. And then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 of them. So he says, let's have a showdown. You know, this is high noon, Gary Cooper. And he's got to face them all. But Gary Cooper was scared. Elijah wasn't scared. So anyway, the showdown came, and get down there to verse 25. And Elijah said unto the prophets of Baal, Choose you one bullock for yourselves, and dress it first, for ye are many, and call on the name of your gods. But put no fire in it. And while they're doing that, see, because there's a lot of them to get that thing ready. Well, he's got to get his ready. And so they took the thing and they cried out. They cried. And so in verse 26, it says, And they called on the name of Baal from morning even until noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no answer, nor any that answered. And they leaped upon the altar which was made. And it came to pass at noon that Elijah mocked them. You say, what does that mean? He mocked them. He made fun of them, chided them. What did he do? He said, cry aloud, for he is a God. Either he's talking, maybe he's on a cell phone. He's pursuing, or he's in a journey, or peradventure he sleepeth, and must be awakened, holler louder. Now, isn't that mocking and making some fun? Well, he did. You see, you shouldn't make fun of other people's religion. Why? If it's wrong, it's wrong. I have no respect for other people's religion. None. Why? Because if it's wrong, it's wrong. I don't respect the error, the wrong. I respect the Bible. I respect truth. I respect the Lord. I respect what God says. And man wants to say something. Well, if it's not this, it's a lie. Why should I respect a lie? Now, living in America, yeah, you have the freedom to believe whatever you want to believe. But that doesn't make what you believe right. Does it? Just because you believe something, does that make it right? No. Right is right. When Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, that means he had no respect for other people's religion. He wanted them to know this. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. The name of Jesus Christ. There is no other. There is no other God. There is no other God. There is only one true and living God, and he has a son, and this is what he said. So when man makes up a religion, why do I have to respect his religion? So no, I don't. You say, that's being cruel. No, it's not. It's deciding what's right and what's wrong. This is right, that this is where I stand. I love that statement. The guy called me up the other day. He wrote me an email and he says, if you and Hank Lindstrom were brothers, <laughs> he said, it would be Hank trying to keep you out of trouble. I read that the other night. I think I thought it did. 
But um, <laughs> I thought, oh, that's funny. Okay. Now, I, I do everything I can to stay out of trouble. I just don't want people trying to dictate to me. I've got to believe like they do. I don't have to believe like they do. But anyway, he goes down through here and he says, hey, holler louder. So it says here in verse 30, And Elijah said unto all the people, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. And he prepared, or repaired, the altar of the Lord that had been broken down. He took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, Jehovah. And he made a trench around the altar as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid them on the wood. And says, fill four barrels with water. Pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. In other words, soak everything. Now, wait a minute. They're trying to get God to bring fire down from heaven. And it can consume their bullock that they had put up there, the false prophet. Well, they probably wanted everything to keep real dry. Maybe a cinder will catch on fire or something. And here he's soaking everything just so that there's no accidents. So that you know if this thing catches on fire and burns up, God did it. So he says here in verse 34, and he says, do it the second time as he was talking about. And then he Second time. And he said, do it the third time. And they did it the third time. And the water ran round about the altar, and he filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that these people may know that Thou art the Lord God, and that Thou hast turned their heart back again. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. Sound like a job well done. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces, and they said, The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. And Elijah said unto them, Take the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they took them, and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon, and slew them there. And Elijah said unto Ahab, Get thee up, eat and drink, for there is a sound of abundance of rain. So God says there's going to be some rain, and it's going to come. Now, don't you like that story? You see, it appears that for a while that God lost. Elijah lost. But did they lose? Not really. It wasn't over yet. These decisions that people are making today, it ain't over yet. When it's all over, we win. When it's all over, we win. Now, you would think a man ought to have the greatest confidence in the Lord. He ought to be so confident and bold. And guess what Jezebel said she's going to do to Elijah for what he He killed her prophets. That made a woman mad. And you know, you shouldn't make a woman mad. 
price to pay. So in verse 42, and Ahab went up to eat and to drink. He said, I had enough of this. I'm going to go eat and drink. Elijah went up to the top of Carmel and he cast himself down upon the earth and put his face between his knees. And he said to his servant, go up now, look toward the sea. And he went up and he looked and says, there's nothing. He said, go again seven times. Why? He just told him there's a sound of abundance of rain. It's going to rain. So if it's going to rain, look for a cloud. Because you know, there's got to be a cloud if there's going to be a rain. Wouldn't you think? It hasn't rained in three years or more. So now he's saying, lad, go, go, go up there and see. He's, uh, he's praying. Go up there and see. And in verse 44, and he came to pass at the seventh time that he says, Behold, there arises a little cloud out of the sea like a man's hand. Now that's a big cloud. Wouldn't that be great confidence? I saw, I saw a sign. I saw a sign. What? I saw a cloud about the size of a man's hand. Can you believe that? And he says, go up, say unto Ahab, prepare thy chariot and get thee down, for the rain stop thee not. That the rain stop. Now, is that confidence or not? He only saw a cloud the size of a man's hand. And he tells Ahab, you better get down and get out of here because it's going to rain and your chariot's going to get stuck in the mud. Well, verse 45, And it came to pass in the meanwhile that the heaven was black with clouds. All of a sudden, phew, wind. And there was a great rain, and Ahab rode and went to Jezreel. And the hand of the Lord was on Elijah, and he girded up his loins and ran before Ahab to the entrance of Jezreel. Here's a man that could outrun a horse. Buddy, that's uh, moving on. Ahab rode, and Elijah ran. Now bad news sets in. You would think after this, that's the greatest thing. Man, he'll never question and never doubt again. But it's not the end of the story. And we'll continue that next Sunday morning. Let's pray, shall we? Father, we ask your blessings upon the study of your word and for each one of us to have the confidence that we should have. And sometimes it seems like it's only the size of a man's hand, and yet we're expecting so much more. So bless us. Increase our faith. And thank you for all that you bring us through and all that you bring us to. Bless our service today in Christ's name. Amen.